because this is very, very, very personal for all of us. And there are no exceptions. Um, we used to have a saying when I, back in the day, and I know you all hate to hear us talk about back in the day, but um, there were guys that used to say, I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. Well, the truth of the matter is we're called to be lovers, but we're called to be fighters. And there are no exceptions to that. Um, we just celebrated Memorial Day not too long ago, and so veterans have a real place of honor, and we, those who paid the ultimate price um, for the things that we enjoy. But it brings to mind the reality of the fact that there are conflicts and there is war. And um, the thing I've always said that's worse than being in a war is to be in a war and not know you're in a war or ignore the fact that you're in a war because then you make decisions and you do things that have severe consequences. So this morning we want to go and talk about this issue of being armed or dressed for battle. And I want to start in a very interesting place, but let's just take a moment here and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that all that you did for us was complete on the cross, that you led captivity captive, that you led a host in triumph that you gained and secured a victory on our behalf and now it is your purpose that we walk in the fullness of that victory in such a way that your redemptive purposes in the earth will be accomplished and the whole earth would be filled with your glory. Father, I thank you for gracing us this morning for meeting us this morning. I ask, Lord, as we turn our hearts to you, that you would awaken, quicken, stir our hearts, that we might lean in to hear all that you are saying to us, that we might respond by obeying and doing all that you would say in such a way that your word can become flesh and dwell in us and it can be beheld seen, experienced. Help me, Father, that I might be faithful to declare your word and to convey your heart in such a way that at the end of all things, both in the hearing and in the declaring of your word, you would be glorified and your kingdom extended. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, I want to start uh, this morning just to set a little bit of the tone, um, and we'll get to Ephesians and the remainders of the army, of the armor of God, but I want to start in a place that helps us to understand just how God sees this, how Jesus sees this. So I want to start in John 17, and you don't need to turn there just yet, but I want to I, I want to read a passage because there's some things that you and I need to get a good, firm grasp of so that we can understand 
all of what God is saying. John 17 is Jesus' prayer, and I've mentioned that before. The uniqueness of it is that it's one of the few places that you don't find Jesus talking to crowds, you don't find him talking to the disciples, but you actually find him talking with his Father. He is praying. It's one of the few places that we actually do have Jesus praying. And it begins by saying this, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, this is a time that you may want to pay particular attention to what he's saying, because he's talking to Dad. He's talking to Abba. And so it's, it's, you, you, we need to see and understand everything that he's talking about, because this is important now. So I want to drop down to verse 6, and this is what it says. This is Jesus. He's saying, Father, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I'm just picking a few places out of this prayer. There's much more that's here, but there's some things that I want us to to land on. Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Verse 13, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, and they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. There's a whole lot more that's in that prayer. But I wanted to focus on some things because there's some things that are quite peculiar about it. That whole prayer that Jesus prays, 18 times he talks about the world. He mentions the world. And the word that he uses there is cosmos. Um, It's a word that you see used all over the New Testament. Uh, I shared with Lawanda the other day, we were were talking about just our need to repent. And we all have very personal things that that we need to repent of and do our business with God over. But one of the things... One of the things that the Testament, the scriptures are very clear about that affect all of us, and it's an area that all of us need to lift in an area of repentance, the one sin that seems to just grab all of us, especially here in the U.S., not only here, but, but in other places around the world, is worldly, worldliness. It's worldliness. It's the one thing that affects us and and so many things about how we live. And so we need to understand that. So I want to just give a little bit of a definition, open up that term, the world, so that you understand what we're dealing with. And these are real. These are not just phantoms or or, or doctrinal or, or or abstract ideas. These are real circumstances. So the world is the scriptures. Uh, refer to that. Jesus talks about that 18 times. He mentions that in John, just in John 17. Okay, uh, when you see that that term, the world cosmos used, it refers to in some places the whole human race as alienated from God. The idea of the world is a system of values that underlie the abstract 
qualities that animate the world. It's the values that are driving this thing. It's the world. It's the world system that is hostile toward God and Christ. This is a system. So when you see that word world, cosmos, understand that it's the world system. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth, the planet, belongs to God. But the systems that drive the affairs of men, that's hostile to God. It's important that you as Christians should recognize what the world system is and that you should take a stand against it. Now that goes a little different than how we've seen things, and I'll, I'll unpack that here in a little bit. But it's important that you understand what it is because it affects you, and you can't be neutral toward it. You can't ignore it. You can't put your head in the sand, pretend it's not there. Our call is to take a stand against it. Jesus says... I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That is not a picture of the world coming against or the devil coming against the church. That is us forcefully advancing. Okay? The hostility between God, Christians, and the cosmos, the world, results because the entire system Understand and hear me clearly, the entire system, the world system, is owned and run by Satan. The world system is owned and run by Satan. And the thing you need to understand is that it is an ordered world. There is a continuity, there is a harmony in how that thing operates. So that there are not these disjointed places or inconsistencies is very consistent. And I hope before we're done, you'll see and, and, and understand why that's so important. So we need to understand that all of those things, it's an ordered system, it's hostile, it's owned and run by Satan. Now, um, when I speak about the fact that it's owned and is run by Satan, just so that you don't think Carlton has gone off the deep end somewhere. John chapter 12, verse 31, this is what Jesus says. He says, now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler, the word there is archon, important word to understand in the Greek. The, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus actually calls Satan the ruler of this world, of this world system, okay? Now, why is that important to you? I want to back up a minute, and I just very, very quickly want to show you why this is such an important thing. In John chapter 17, verse 6, I have manifested your, same, your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. Guess what, folks? We were, in, we were of the world before we met Christ. And what Jesus says is, Father, this is his prayer. You took them out of the world, and you gave them to me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Okay, you were taken out of the world and given to the Father. So you formerly were part of the world. It's the place that B.C. all of us came. Okay, slide number three. Um, verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. 
Jesus is no longer in the cosmos. But you are. And I am. It's a reality of where we are, how we operate and live our lives every day. Verse 14, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Well, guess what? The world system hates you. It is not indifferent about you. It doesn't ignore you. It actually hates you. It hates you. Um, that's a scary thought. The world hates you. Why? Because you are not of it. Remember I said that the cosmos is an ordered system? You and I live under a different order. Do you know the order that we live under? It's called the kingdom of God. We live under a different order. And because of that, because of that, Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. We are falling into increasing disfavor in, in the country. Any of you pick that up? Okay. Verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. There is an interesting request. Jesus says, Father, don't take them out of that. Now, here we're in a place where the world hates us. We're of a different order. You would think, I would think, Father, get them out of there. But the Lord says, no, I don't ask that you take them out of that, but that you protect them from who? Evil one. Who is the evil one? Satan is the evil one. Who is the ruler? Satan is the ruler. The word that's used here is paniros. Paniros is a personified evil. It's not just wickedness, but it's a personified evil that wants to take you and draw you into the very thing that it's doing. Okay? So, Father, leave them there, but protect them from the evil one. Okay? Um, Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world of the cosmos. Like I said before, we're a different order. But then he makes another interesting statement. Verse 18, as you sent me into the cosmos, I have sent them into the cosmos. So not only is it, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of it, but what he's actually saying is, I'm sending them into the world where they're hated where they're of a completely different order, where the ruler of that is Satan himself, the archon. Didn't mean to bring you such a great word this morning, but it's just the reality that we need to deal with. Not only has he taken you out of this thing, he sent you into it. So understand that the world system that we have been sent into we're hated, it's owned and, it's owned and run by Satan, and we are to take a stand against it. Now, that's a little different because most of us would just assume, bide our time, mind our own business, and just get along. Mm -mm. No, we're called to take a stand against this. So, with all of that great news, what is your status and my status? Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes this. For he, Jesus, rescued us from 
the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. There are two orders. There are two orders. There is no third option. Two kingdoms. And those two kingdoms are in conflict. Remember I said Christ got the victory. Now that victory is to extend to you and I who are members of that kingdom. So conflict is what we have to deal with. And it's that issue of conflict. So I want to call it warfare. I don't care what you call it, but that's what it is. We are at war, whether we like it or not. And we see casualties. We see the effects of that all the time. How many of you have either yourself or seen someone really come against situations that you think, oh my goodness, what's going on? Severity of things, life-altering things, profound things that are happening in the lives of people. It's because there's this conflict. But praise God that we've been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. We changed orders. And the good news is that in the kingdom, there is redemption and there is forgiveness. How many of you are grateful that there is forgiveness? (laughs) How many of you are really glad that there's redemption? Now those really bad things, God's able to work them for good. So that's the good news for us. But don't neglect or don't ignore the fact that there is still a conflict. Now I want to, for the time that I have remaining, I want to talk about the nature of that because that's now where we start to talk about how do we fight this thing. Uh, very, very quickly, and Pastor Michelle touched on these things a couple of weeks ago. I want to touch on them real briefly, but I want to just keep us moving because we need to understand how we deal with this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. I want to stop there to paint a picture for you of what's taking place in the conflict, in the warfare, so that you really understand the scope of this thing. I came out of a church, out of a movement where uh, deliverance, seeing people delivered you know, from, from spiritual oppression and demonic things, was something that was a part of our movement. So we were quite used to that. I've seen people get delivered. Some of you have seen people get delivered, okay? But I'm not talking about just deliverance. I'm talking about an entire system of things that we have to engage against. What Paul writes is this. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That phrase, in the strength of his might, let me, let me just help you understand what that is because that's important for you to know. We need to be strong in the strength of his might. Just a few chapters earlier in Ephesians 1, Paul writes this. Uh, he talks about our hearts being enlightened so that we may know several things. The hope of his calling, 
uh, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then in verse 19 it says, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the, and there's the phrase, strength of his might, which he brought about when he raised him, brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's important for you to understand. The strength of his might was displayed in Christ when God raised him from the dead. Now, at the point that God raised Jesus from the dead, there was nothing that Jesus could do for himself. Absolutely nothing. It was the power of God that raised him from the dead. Paul refers to that as the strength of his might. When Jesus was powerless, here is the Father who shows up and he exhibits his strength, his power, raises Jesus from the dead. Okay? You cannot strengthen yourself. You can't strengthen yourself. Power can only come from God. And that power can only be manifest in Christ when you are in union with the Lord. So when Jesus talks about abiding in Christ, there is a reason. It's not just that I have my quiet time. It's no. My abiding in Christ then avails me to the very power of God so that God is able to do all of these things through me. So you understand, it's not about 15 minutes of Bible study in the morning. It's about a life that is, is sought after and lived in abiding in Christ. Why? Because, God, I can't do anything about the stuff that I'm facing right now. Yeah. The battle that I'm in, I can't win right now. It's only you and your power in me that's able to help me uh, 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 emerge victorious in these things. So we're only strong in the Lord when we operate in our own weakness. How many of you, I know I have, spent a lot of years trying to just white-knuckle myself in the Lord, I, I can do this. You know, like the little train, I, I think I can, I think I can do this thing. No, you can't do this. What the scripture is very clear about is that that his strength is perfected in our weakness. So what does Paul write? I would much rather than boast of what? My weakness, my inability, because then, God, your strength is able to be at work in me. That is in the strength of his might. Now, um, Paul then goes on to talk about Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. It's the armor of God. It's the armor of God that is terribly, terribly important for you. Why? Because it is the armor of God that is his ability then for us to stand firm. Every piece of the armor, if, by the time we're done, I, my challenge to you is you need to know every piece of the armor of God. 
you need to be able to articulate this is what it is. You know, it's the belt of truth. It's all of those things. And not only should you know it, but you should know this is what this means. This is how I operate in that. Why? Because it's my only way of standing firm. That's the one statement that you need to, you need to understand that Paul is talking about. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I need to say this so that, again, you understand. Remember I said this, stand in the strength of his might. Every piece of the armor of God comes from God. You can't create nor manufacture any of that stuff. It all has to come from him. So if you don't get it from him, you don't have it. You don't got it. Um, but God more than willingly offers that to us at the point that we come and surrender our lives to Christ. So the reason that we're given the armor is so that we can stand firm. In the conflict, in the battle, what do you need? I need an ability to stand firm so that I can accomplish my portion in this battle and the purposes of God can go on in the spheres and in the realms in which I'm assigned. Now, this is not about human enemies. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not about people. But what you're fighting against are rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness. I want to take a moment just so that you understand the scope of the battle that you're actually fighting. You're fighting against rulers. The word there is archon. Remember what I said about, about Jesus when he talks about Satan as, the, as the, the ruler of this world? Archon. The word there is archon. Archon. Uh, yes. It's archon. It's a word that means first ones. It's where things originate. It's the initiator. So what you're wrestling against is Satan who is initiating and originating his purposes against you and me and the purposes of God. That's the point of origin. But then it says, but you are also wrestling against powers. The word there is exousia. There are two words for power in the, in the New Testament. One is dunamis. Dunamis, what does that sound like? Dynamite. That's the power of God. It's what the Holy Spirit brings. It's the power. But this is not that word. This word is exousius. Exousius isn't power that's, that's power that's manifest. The word there is authority. Police have a, they have power. But their power comes because what do they do? They enforce the law. When you see the policeman, he's got a gun on his side. But the thing is, your heart starts pounding when you know you've been going above the speed limit and you see that light go on and all of a sudden you realize, uh-oh, he ain't going to pull a gun, but it's going to cost me some money. What is he doing? He's enforcing the law. Exousia. It's that word power. Um, the authorities, these are angelic and demonic beings that enforce the thing that 
the archon has initiated. And the way that that works, the way that it operates, is that just as the Cleveland police can't go into Bedford and do much, why? Because their jurisdiction is where? It's Cleveland. So authority has its jurisdiction. The powers have a jurisdiction in which they operate. If I were to talk to you about San Francisco, what does San Francisco stand, you know, to some of you who are older, what, is it, what comes to mind? What? Alcatraz? Yeah. What else comes to mind? In, in not such a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Why does that come to mind? Because it's so rampant that it's there. If I talk to you about New Orleans, what comes to mind? Yeah. Why? Because what you've got now are exousias who have defined a territory and all of a sudden are starting to manifest that there. The Susia authorities, what they do, their jurisdiction is over locations and people groups. And so you've got now, you've got the one who initiates, you've got the enforcers who put this stuff in play in geographic areas and over people, and then you have got, I'm going to do this really quickly, so just Bear with me because I want to get to these two final things that we talk about in terms of the armor. You've got world forces of this darkness. The word there in the Greek is, listen to this, kosmokratoras. That word cosmos is now there. World forces of this darkness. What they do, what they do, they will take the thing that's been initiated, that's been assigned to certain jurisdictions, and they mainstream those. How do they do that? Through institutions, academia, entertainment, corporations. Remember how MLB shut down the Atlanta World Star, uh, uh, All-Star Game two years ago? Moved it to an entirely different place. Why are they doing that? What they're doing is mainstreaming yeah. this stuff. And all of a sudden, it's not just an isolated group, it's now normalized. Yeah. Did you wonder, the Dobbs decision came from the Supreme Court just a few years ago. How we got from same-sex marriages to transgender children in a few short yeah. years normalized and mainstreamed. Yeah. Do you see that? All along, the effect of this thing is broadening. Comes from the point of initiation, the archon, to those who would enforce it over certain areas. You got these pockets. Then it gets embraced by world forces of this darkness who through areas of influence, academia, culture, and so on, mainstream this to people, and the next thing you know, they're calling that which is good evil and that which is evil good. Yeah. That's exactly what goes on. That's the warfare that we're involved in. And then there's the last one, uh, Pneumatica um, Panarius. Uh, Boy, I wish I could unpack this for you, but, but suffice it to say 
spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. This is, those are the implementers. Those are the the demons that start working things in and through people. You have folks that say, how could this happen in a neighborhood like this? This is completely not like the neighborhood. Well, all of a sudden, this has now gotten into human behavior. And the thing is, it's accepted behavior. Let me give you a few examples of that. And then we'll talk about how we deal with this in the army that we need so that we can, we can do all that we need to, uh, to stand against that. The Holocaust. 11 million Jews. Who knows how many more others beyond the Jews who were killed in the Holocaust. Slavery. Okay? Behaviors that either are small or large, that are literally carrying into human behavior now, those things that are demonic and satanic. In Rwanda, 20 years ago, I was there. There were a million people killed in 90 days. Do you see what the warfare is starting to look like? And the thing is, that's what you and I are called to contend with. That's pretty sobering. The few minutes that I've got left, I want to just go down a list of some things, and I want to end um, talking about two in particular. But it says, put on the full armor of God so that you might stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We talked about that movement in the warfare and the strategies that are used that goes from here to this, and we're in the midst of that right now. Right now, the only ones who can contend against that is the church. Jesus has gotten victory. He wants us to have the victory. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So it's, it's not go and beat up the nearest Republican or go and beat up the nearest Democrat or any of that stuff. That's not how we fight those things. Put on the full armor of God so that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I want to show you something that's kind of a... Uh, a little indication that the scriptures give us of what the devil's schemes are. Because that just, oh, what are the devil's schemes? When you take a look at the pieces of armor, what you begin to see is that each of them have particular effects and they deal with certain schemes that the devil puts out. <laughs> Let me just go through the list real quick. Belt of truth. What's the devil's scheme? He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He deals in distortions, perversions, deceptions, uh, all of that. And so what do you need to counter that? You put on the belt of truth. Okay? What don't you hear much about right now? Truth. Truth. What do you see a whole lot of right now? Lies. That's not just certain politicians. That's coming from, ultimately, the one who initiates this who gives jurisdiction, who broadens this thing to where it becomes normalized and mainstream, who then carries this stuff out so that people behave in such a way that that which at one point was good is now being called evil, and that which is evil is now being called good. The belt of truth. One of the devil's schemes is lie. He's the father of lies. Um, the, the, The next one is the breastplate of righteousness. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Accuses us before God day and night. He accuses you, he accuses me. He accuses us of things that we've done. He accuses us of things that we haven't done. All you got to do is look at the scriptures and you'll see those accusations. But along with the accusations comes what? 
condemnation. And what does that do for your desire to serve God when all of a sudden you're under a whole lot of condemnation? Where does your confidence go? It just stops. So what do we have? The breastplate of righteousness. And you know whose righteousness it is? It's his righteousness. You get credit for that so that when the accusation comes, when you have failed, when the accusation comes, I'm here because of the righteousness of Christ. Unimpeachable righteousness. So what is, his, what is his scheme? Accusation, condemnation. Third one talks about shodding your feet with the preparation of the, of the gospel of peace. Gospel is just a word that means good news. I focused on that word peace. Do you know what starts to happen when you face circumstances that are either unexpected or crisis things that emerged all of a sudden? What does that do? Heart starts pounding. What rises? Anxiety. Anxiousness. What does Paul say? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace that passes understanding. What causes me to be sure-footed is that I recognize, where's my peace coming from? It's him. Remember I said that the armor, you can't manufacture it? He gives us the armor. The righteousness is his. The truth is his. By the way, with truth, three sources of truth. Word of God, Spirit of God, Son of God. All of it comes from him. Um, So, fear and anxiety, one of his tools, part of his scheme. What counters that to keep us in a place where we stand firm? The peace that passes understanding. And what happens is I have my feet ready for that because I expect that there are going to be attacks that come. You ever just go along being dumb and happy and all of a sudden something hits you out of nowhere? And you think, where did that come from? What happened? You dropped your guard and your expectation went away. I heard that word this morning, expectation. Let me tell you something. You need to expect that in a war zone, there are going to be things shot at you. Don't let your guards down. Don't let your guards down. Don't think because, oh, everything is really good right now. This is such a great time. We are in a war. Have an expectation. Be ready so that when something comes, you're ready to stand. I'm not going to be anxious. Lord, here's my situation. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness, for your sovereignty, for your ability to keep me. And peace that passes understanding will guard you and keep you. Take up the shield of the Spirit. The word there, well, I'll put it this way. The Roman soldiers had a shield that was called a... uh, Sucum. It was a door-sized shield. Door-sized. Not one of these tiny little things that you see the little kids with. But it was door-sized. It was made of wool. It was covered with hide. And when it was wet, you know what, it, what its benefit was? When fiery arrows were shot at you, the water would extinguish the arrow. 
The soldiers could do this in such, with wheelbarrows in such a way that if they were to stand in a circle, they're completely surrounded by the shield so that even when they're being shot at from up above, there was protection. Shield of faith. What is the devil's scheme? He wants to cause you to doubt and unbelief and extinguish your faith. Do you realize that, that it is impossible to please God without faith? So what does he do? He comes at you, causes you to question, causes you to doubt. The shield of faith extinguishes all of that. And that's based on the word of God. Moving along, helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. The battle takes place in your mind. Salvation is not a one-time, one-and-done that took place when you prayed the prayer or something that will only take place in the future. Your salvation uh, for every believer is ongoing and it's eternal. So I'm working out my salvation today, tomorrow, and every day so that I'm always fighting the battles. Where are many of the battles? In your mind. They're in your mind. And so the helmet, what it does, it, it, it helps us to, to keep our minds and our thoughts in line with the Word of God. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And here's, here, is, here is the battle that we fight is renewing our mind. It's old ideas and opinions and worldviews. We got to scrub our minds of that stuff. And the man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old ways of thinking, I got to get rid of those. Old worldviews, I got to get rid of those. It all has to be based on the Word of God. Um, uh, I have to reject the, the doubts that come from circumstances. You ever face circumstances that make you then want to doubt things? What do you do? You think differently. You think differently. God, you are the one who is sovereign over everything. Because I'm going through this doesn't remove your place of sovereignty uh, and power over me. Keep our, etern- our perspectives eternal. We need to remember that the victory has already been accomplished. It's already been accomplished. Paul writes about the sword of the spirit. Satan's scheme is ignorance and distractions. Ignorance and distractions. The sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. The word that's used there is rhema. It's not logos. It's not let me, let me compile 60,000 Bible verses. I mean, we need the word of God. There is no rhema without a grasp of the word of God. But the rhema of God, that's the word, God, that you're speaking to me. In the midst of the attacks, those are the things that I need to stand firm. Jesus, when he was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil... In two of the three Gospels, you know what it says? What what God's word to him was, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Only in Matthew that it said, this is my son. And the other two, Luke and Mark, it says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. When, When Satan tempted him, what did he say to him? If you are. Jesus knew he was. How did he know that? Father just told him. He went immediately from being baptized into the wilderness. It's the rhema of God. I've talked before about this. Cultivating an ear which recognizes, God, this is your word. And you can't do that without saturating in the scriptures. 
You can't do that without that. Um, if you don't know what the word says, then here comes Satan with the lies. And his scheme is to keep you ignorant or to get you so distracted with other things that you're not even listening for the word of God because I got all these other things. And then finally, the seventh piece, we talked about the helmet and your thoughts. We talked about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The seventh thing that most people miss, it says pray at all times in the spirit. Pray at all times in the spirit. One of our weapons is praying in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit of God. The scheme that it, that it unfolds is, and this is the sin that, again, many of us are guilty of, is prayerlessness. God, I love you. I just don't like taking time with you. It's the way most of us approach them. But it's our prayerlessness and our preoccupations that he uses against us. And so, what is the last piece of the armor that I put on? Praying in the Spirit. Now that means allowing the Spirit of God to direct our prayers. Sometimes I want to pray, God, get this thing from in front of me, and the Spirit of God is saying, no, you need to pray, God, give me grace to deal with this thing. So it's allowing the Spirit of God to lead us. And if you don't know what the Spirit of God or how he's leading, if you don't have words for it, there's another means of doing that. Do you know what it's called? You pray in your language. You pray in your language. But the issue is this, having done everything to stand, Stand firm. The Bible makes no accommodation at all whatsoever with just picking and choosing three or four or two or one. It says, having done everything, then you stand firm. We're armed for a war which is much bigger than any of us signed up for. But God has made complete and total provision with everything that we need so that we can stand firm and emerge victorious in all of this. I thought this morning when I got here, what I wanted to do was to have us just take a moment and act upon some of this as we close.